how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Seven Seconds is one of the boldest stories on Netflix. The 10-episode drama comes from the killing showrunner Vina Sud. The story begins with a hit-and-run of an African-American teenager by a Jersey City cop. The mostly white police force covers up the incident, which causes public controversy. What's perhaps most interesting about Sud's take on this type of story is all of the research involved and the in-depth look at how everyone suffers from such a tragedy. Creative Screenwriting sat down with Vina Sud to talk about her fascination with mystery, slow burn storytelling, the Statue of Liberty as symbolism, and her passion for research along with the importance of plucking images from real life. You can also find the print interview of this conversation on Creative Screenwriting's website. Uh, my fascination with mystery has, has been a lifelong uh, fascination and obsession since you know, I was a kid watching um, Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Prisons. Um, you know, always just this um, this desire to kind of look at human nature in its, in its ex most extreme forms. So that's always been a driver for me as a storyteller. In terms of how I like to kind of keep it interesting to me and, and hopefully then it becomes interesting to my audience is to um, as closely and as, as, as rawly as I can step into the event. So, you know, whether it's the killing, um, trying to really walk in the shoes of uh, a family that's gone through this tragedy, uh, whether it's, you know, what it feels like to be a woman in, in, in a homicide unit in a place like Seattle that's foggy and beautiful yet desolate and terrifying. Um, for example, for the, when I was trying to, when I was thinking of the killing and I was trying to imagine Sarah Linden, um, the way I connect and the only way I can actually start telling the story is um, I have to actually, there's, I call it my, my, my image. Like I have to actually see it. Like there has to be, there's always this one, um, turning point image that I see for the lead character that then is my 
um, aha into the world and into how to tell the story. So when I was thinking of Sarah, I was up in the Marine Headlands, which is near San Francisco, and it's a bunch of sea cliffs and a very lonely part of the city, outside the city, actually. And I was walking through on this walking in this on this hiking path alone and the fog had moved in so I was I couldn't see past like a foot in front of me and I was walking and thinking about this character and I realized this is what she does she goes into the most terrifying lonely places she she is a hiker she's a trail runner she runs in on trails like I'm walking um and 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 she does that in her daily life because she has to do that in her work life. She has to go alone, but she does in the beginning of the pilot to this dark and lonely and terrifying place to find what she thinks is the body of, of a young woman. Um, and so that is part and parcel of, of who she is and how she has to be to do her job effectively. So, so these are different stories. I mean, they're all kind of mysteries around murder, but sometimes we know who the killer is. Sometimes we don't. Do you, do you also do the same thing when you're characterizing the killer? Do you kind of get in their head as well? Absolutely. Whoever has committed a crime, I try uh, to, to try to understand um, because I think we all do bad things and we all have reasons for why we do them. And so understanding the reasoning, I think, helps uh, not only understand the humanity of the person who committed the act, but how the act actually physically happens. So, you know, for example, the person, um, you know, killed Rosie Larson, one thing we talked a lot about in the writer's room is how do you dump a body in the middle of a lake? Like physically, how do you do that? And, 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 by virtue of trying to physically just understand and then what would be happening emotionally as that event happened, you know, for the killer, then you understand what's the trail that the homicide detective can follow. Cause there's always a human being behind any act. And if you can try to understand that you can, you can then look at bus schedules. Then you can look at, did the person break down at one point and vomit in the bushes um, you know, we don't think when we're in panic. So you touch something, you know, that's without a gloved hand, maybe. Um, so all these things kind of go into the mix of, you know, understanding how things happen. And then, you know, with seven seconds, clearly we know as audience who the bad guy is at the beginning, who committed the crime. And we have to, you know, by virtue of how the story is constructed, spend time with Peter Jablonski, spend time with, you know, D'Angelo, spend time with all the other cops who are part of the cover-up and see them go through what is essentially the telltale heart. You know, see these men slowly either compartmentalize and not think about it, justify, you know, and, and grow more hateful, you know, of the community they serve and or go insane because they can't deal with the thing that they did. I read an interview you did for The Killing where you mentioned your appreciation of slow burn storytelling. Your example in, in this answer was one episode might represent a day, but can you kind of elaborate on this on this tension as a method of storytelling? And I'm sure you're conscious of it as far as like if the, if the whole season involves a mystery versus also the tension in each individual episode or each individual scene as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's... 
I think it's almost like being a, a gymnast. Sometimes you just, or a dancer, the timing feels natural. Like the timing feels like you're listening to something internal in the story that's telling you to follow something a certain way. And I think everyone, you know, clearly every storyteller has their own beat and rhythm and, you know, goes, some people like to go really fast and jump cut and do all of that. There is something about staying still for me as still as possible um, that lends itself to seeing as much as possible. And so I, you know, uh, you know, I gravitate towards, um, stories that are like the killing or like seven seconds that do have a driving force behind them, you know, whether it's a mystery or an event that has to happen or, you know, some driving kind of incident, but allowing the audience to really just live with the characters and, and not necessarily be on a fun adventure ride or roller coaster ride, but just the uncomfortableness, the truth, you know, the, the despair that a character feels, and then ultimately, you know, the joy or resolution, perhaps, at the end of this, their story. What were some things you learned, you know, between the killing and seven seconds now? Were there, were there some big picture things as the creator? Um, you know, I can imagine it's certainly not easy, but it's very exciting to write the first season when you're thinking about, you know, two or three seasons. Are you already thinking that far ahead with where your story may go? It depends on the story with the killing because, uh, you know, the entire series was based on uh, these, this one particular uh, homicide detective, Sarah Linden. Um, I knew that the entire series had to be looked at through the lens of this one woman's journey. Um, Seven Seconds was always going to be an anthology series that looked at uh, one hot-button political issue in Jersey City um, every season. So, you know, it was it was almost like a hybrid idea of uh, the, um, the wire meets. So, you know, some worlds would exist and fade away. Some new worlds would be introduced and stay. Um, but it was all kind of the, the main meat of every season was an incident, a very particular political incident that happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of dependent on uh, where you want to go, you know, with something. Um the big picture lesson learned, I think, is is just more excitement that the forum can be changed. Um, that now it, it it's as a nation now that has been watching kind of basically thirteen hour movies for series that um, you know run for thirteen episodes. There is a patience I think we all have now with long form storytelling. Um, and, and an excitement around it. And so I almost feel that my own muscles in terms of being able to go into other places like film and watch something like Frederick Wiseman, you know, again, with infinitely more patience than I had, you know, 15 years ago, um, is kind of remarkable. You know, it says something about um, how we as consumers of content are, um, the form is changing. You know, the form is infinitely um, malleable right now, which I think is really, really, really exciting as a storyteller to be wondering about how to 
tell another story in a different way again. You're also, you know, one of the unusual cases where the killing went from AMC to Netflix. So it literally changed, you know, the way you could have written the story. Are you, you know, in the writer's room, were you very conscious of, well, people may watch this one at a time. They may watch three. They may watch all of them in one sitting. Are you thinking about that as you're creating the story for for an audience? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the only thing that um, that type of watching, I think, is the best one from for many storytellers because then you don't have to have this artificial stopping point um, between chapters, right? So, like the same way I read a book. I'll read as many chapters as I can actually stay awake for, and then I'll fall asleep. Um, or I'll be my own editor and curator and stop when I've had my show and then you know, go eat a meal or whatever. It, that's what present-day television allows us to do, is to be our own curators of the experience versus someone else has been judging when we stop and start. Um, and then there's all this, like, filler, which is so frustrating <laughs> for storytellers. You know, there's, there's like, the commercials, and then there's the forced waiting for a week, which then absolutely affects how you tell a story, you know, because then you have to have all these false um, cliffhangers, which just are ridiculous and, and, and I, I think, just lend itself to bad television. Is there also, I mean, a different type of pressure, like, let's say, you know, uh, this is 10 episodes, but let's say you worked on a show where they do 20 episodes. I mean, are you plotting out the same story and adding more to it, or are you making a much longer story? How do you kind of see those two differences? Yeah, I mean, the only um, the only show that I've worked on that had 23 episodes was a was Cold Case, and that was episodic. So, you know, it, it revolved around eat a crime per episode. So it was very different. It wasn't a serialized show where you had, you know, a group of characters, their arcs determining the season. Um, so it was different in and of itself that, you know, there's only so many episodes you can plot out um, <clears throat> because partially, I mean, at least I, I've experienced this on, on my shows, is you do make adjustments based off of, what's happening on the ground. So, um, you know, with, with seven seconds, we plotted, we had big giant kind of turning points and movements plotted out before we put anything, you know, but so had to retain the flexibility of no, you know, actors will bring other things, you know, this is just a blueprint. We have to adjust as we go. We have to rewrite as we go. Um, keeping in mind kind of the big picture, but also making adjustments. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a 13 episodes of a serialized drama is this very intense, rich, thick kind of, um, bula bays of, uh, everything that you're just trying to kind of keep perfectly, perfectly, um, uh, at a perfect temperature and, and, and at a perfect spice level because um, it has to all hold together, you know, and it, the, the, the 26 episode or episodic doesn't have to hold together in quite the same way. So in the pilot, we're really seeing, you know, both sides of an accident. There's a hit and run. Um, and then we also see the Statue of Liberty in the beginning and the end. There's, it seems to be a really noticeable that it's the back of the Statue of Liberty and that kind of, you know, puts us in place of where we are 
but also there's a lot of people talking online about some possible symbolism there. Do you kind of write that in as anything more than, than a setting location? How do you kind of see that as far as the poster and the pilot of that Statue of Liberty? It was very purposeful. I lived in Jersey City for many years, and, and, and I raised my son there, and we went to the park a lot. Uh, when he was growing up, and that was always striking to me, that the Statue of Liberty's back was to us, um, which felt absolutely fitting because Jersey City is or was when I was living there, you know, it was a very poor city, uh, majority black and brown, very immigrant, um, and, and very forgotten, you know, and very much in the shadow of Manhattan. Um, and very much in the shadow of all the dreams and the aspirations and the promises of Lady Liberty. So um, I knew very quickly when I um, created Seven Seconds, and I knew it would be in Jersey City, that that image had to be a part of the show because it's, you know, it's plucked straight from life. So the New York Times and, and various articles, I'm sure, have mentioned, you know, things like Trayvon Martin or Tamir Rice as far as the relationship to this story if nothing else, these are very difficult stories to to tell. Where did this kind of original idea come from? Is it meant to kind of uh, extend the debate beyond the headlines? Yeah, I mean, it, it came from uh, the spring of 2015 when I was turning on my television and, and literally seeing what felt like on a nightly basis another black man or child being shot down by the police. Um, that's where it came from, the uh, imperative and the need to tell the story which was being told all over our headlines, but needing to do a deep dive into the why and the how, and ultimately, how does this change? Because the story, you know, the entire series tackles the actual incident of um, a policeman, you know, uh, in a hit and run that involved a black child, all the way to the end of the line of the story in terms of... uh, policeman have being convicted or actually, you know, going going to trial for what he did. And so I was really interested in looking at that whole process uh, and also telling the truth of what really is happening um, in terms of conviction rates and in terms of even prosecutorial rates for uh, police violence cases. So where did you, I mean, what happened after you kind of had this idea? You're listed as the creator. Did you go and write the story? Did you pitch the idea? Who did you take it to? And where did it kind of spawn out from there? So when I um, when I first came up with the notion, I had just finished the killing and I was looking for the, the next thing. Uh, I talked to my executive at Fox 21 where I had my deal, um, Nancy Cotton, and I said, look, this is, you know, this is what I want to do next. And they were incredibly supportive and they said, Absolutely. And I said, I'm just not going to pull any punches. I'm, I'm going to really tell the story as it's being told in real life and, and not like some feel good, you know, bullshit. Um, I'm just going to try to be as, as clear and as honest as a storyteller as possible. And, you know, to, to their great credit, they said, absolutely, we're behind you. Um, so because it, it would have been a very different thing if they said no, then I would never have told the story because um, I wouldn't want to be, you know, to tell lies about what's happening really, truly in the criminal justice system. So um, to their great credit, they said yes. And then um, we went out and sold it to Netflix. Um, and, um, and, and the creative part of all of this was, um, and what I like to do as a creator is just spend as much time as possible with people 
who are really involved in the issues, whatever the story is I'm looking at, uh, before I start writing it. So, um, you know, I did speak with Trayvon Martin's mom um, and talked about the night prior to his murder, the morning of his murder, the days and hours after, you know, she found out that her child had been killed. Um, we ended up, as a writer's room, speaking to a lot of moms whose sons had been killed by police officers and really, you know, as, as much as possible, um, putting forward the truth of kind of what they went through, not only in grappling with a parent's worst nightmare, the death of your child, but then the additional, you know, trauma of a justice system then that won't even prosecute the man who killed your child. Um, and, and then your child being treated like a criminal and, you know, his murder somehow being justified. So we, we went through that whole process, um, as well as talking to public, <clears throat> I'm sorry, prosecutors, female prosecutors in Jersey. We had this great technical advisor who worked, um, in the Hudson County prosecutor's office where KJ Harper, you know, the lead character from seven seconds worked. um, yeah, we just, as writers, as a writer, just steeped ourselves in the real world of it all and then started to make um, decisions and um, wrote plots from that. Have you always taken this kind of a, a deep dive into the research? And do you ever get, you know, overwhelmed or does, do, you know, do the plot points kind of come out at you as you're, as you're digging through everything that you've done? I like to do research because I research the real world is way smarter than I am, and 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 I find gems that I could never have thought up. Um, I think real life is fascinating, and and people are infinitely fascinating, and especially um, people who've gone through just in, immensely trying times just inspire, and they 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 say these things, and they 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 they, they just they go through so much that is worthy to be on our screen. So, um, and in not in a sentimental way, you know, that I would probably think of, <laughs> um, real life people are, are actually real heroes. And so why not kind of go to the well, you know, of it all. Um, I also feel that, uh, yeah, I mean, my job then is to find the poetry, you know, in, in whatever experience I get the chance to, you know, look at and and uh, weave it together in a story that then becomes a story and, and not, you know, obviously a documentary. But you've mentioned, um, so you did mention The Wire. Um, I, I believe with The Wire, there's five seasons. They're all kind of in a different setting. There's been some talk of, you know, if this gets extended, possibly going around different issues in Jersey City. Have you already started doing some research there? Or what might you, you know, be expecting? It, it, what, what might fans expect if that is a possibility? Well, unfortunately, Netflix did not renew the series, um, so there, there, yeah, there won't be another season. Um, what, what are you working on next, or what might you be working on next? Um, what I'm, what I'm actually finishing right now is a film um, that I wrote and directed for Blumhouse, uh, and it's a psychological thriller with Mireille Enos from The Killing and Peter Sarsgaard. And so um, that's what I'm working on now. You've mainly worked in television. Have you found any restrictions writing this uh, first film? 
No, I mean, I, um, you know, I had the great fortune to work on it, my first film on this film with Jason Blum, um, who is just a friend to artists and, and gives, you know, directors final cut on their projects. Um, we do the film cheap enough that, you know, there's, there's a ton of authorship around it. You know, um, they're, they're very, very, very open to, to what, the writer and director imagines and envisions for the project. So I think that's certainly part of his great success, you know. Um, but no, it's been it's been incredibly, actually, way free, more freeing than television. <laughs> television, you have a lot of people, um, a lot of more hoops to jump through. At least in this version of movie making, I've I have I've had less. <laughs> So I read that you started writing very early. You were kind of already attempting screenplays when you were like just a teenager. Um, what advice might you have for people that are coming up in the industry now where there are so many, you know, avenues and ventures to do? Where would you recommend they start if they want to be a writer or a creator like you are? Uh, I mean, it's, it's you know, the same advice I got when I was um, starting out. And I, and I try to, to do it even to to this day, but it's truly the best advice, is just write every day, you know, write every day, make it the discipline, make it your discipline, um, treat it as your job, you know, even if you're not getting paid yet for it, you will, um, if you treat it as something you must do every day. <clears throat> and that also keeps, I think, you know, um, it just keeps the wheels turning. It, it, you know, you, you have a source of not only um, an observation, observations of your day, of your life, of human existence, of a, a conversation you might have overheard that you'll use later on somewhere in your work, but you just have this treasure trove, you know, of, um, of, of things to go back to, physical, you know, ideas, and then also the practice you know, of putting pen to paper. So you write relatively, you know, darker stories. Where do you kind of go for the inspiration for these? Are they mostly from real events these days? I would say in the vast majority, I mean, definitely with The Killing and with Seven Seconds, both inspired by real life. So, you know, obviously with Seven Seconds, I just mentioned television news um, in 2015. And then with the killing, um, it was based on a, you know, a Danish format, but when we started to venture out into other cases, always, you know, inspired by whether it was the Green River Killer, um, you know, the Gary Ridgway, who was the most prolific serial killer in America, who I think killed upwards of 60 women in the Seattle Tacoma area. Um, that was season three of the show. There is real life. Real life will inevitably, you know, again, you know, this endless trove of stuff and inspiration. Um, and, and then, you know, an, another big inspiration for me besides the news and, and stories in the news are photographs. So a big part of, um, the killing uh, was, uh, and season three was the inspiration end of it, and not the dark end of it. Were the photographs of Mary Ellen Mark of street kids um, in Seattle, and so these young survivors 
you know, these, these kids who were tough as nails, you know, but still found love and, you know, were, were kids with each other. Um, that drove kind of the human stories behind that season. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.